This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Hey, would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? Father, as, as we've just been reminded, we've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer we who live, but the life we live. We live through the Son of God who loved us and who gave himself up for us. Our, our boast, our only boast is in the cross, is in the cross. And so, Jesus, would you remind us of that this morning? Spirit, in a way that only you can, would you do surgery on our soul, point out ways that we're not walking with you, that we're not hearing you, and we're not receiving your joy, and then point us in the way everlasting, we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. When I was in college, I worked with an organization called Young Life, and uh, I mentored a number of students, and the only time that I had free and, and the time that they were willing to meet was really early in the morning. So one morning, I got out of bed. My feet hit the ground at about 5.45. The meeting started at 6. This was not uncommon. It was about 13-minute drive to where we were meeting. I had two minutes to get dressed, more than enough time. My feet hit the ground. I pulled on a pair of pants, a shirt, a sweatshirt, hopped in my car, and drove to the cafe that we were meeting at. I walked in, and we quickly got a seat because nobody else was that crazy to be there at that time. I walked to our little booth that we sat in and sat down and opened the menu. And at that time, a waitress came by. And instead of asking us what our order would be, she came carrying a sock. And she didn't say anything. She just walked up to our table, stood there, and held a sock. And I'm thinking to myself, I haven't looked at the whole menu. Um, but I'm, I don't know where that falls on the menu, right? Like, is this a side with some eggs? Do you get an omelet and a sock? I mean, what's the, what's the deal? She just stood there holding the sock, and she said, when you walked in this morning, this sock fell out of your pant leg. <laughs> now, see... Don't judge me. You've been there before. I took off my pants the night before, right? And all in one foul swoop, because I don't want to waste time before I get in bed, right? Took it all off, socks included, right? And the sock got pinned in the leg. And as I walked into the cafe, the sock slowly worked its way out, fell down, creating a nice thing to wipe your feet on as you walk into said cafe. And the waitress felt it necessary to come and deliver back my sock. Thank you very much, waitress. And I'm looking at her going, I had no idea that I was carrying that. I had no idea that was attached to me. And I think the Apostle Peter, as he writes to this church, this group of churches, this group of five churches, home churches probably in the first century who are followers of Jesus, here's what he wants to do today. He wants to walk up to him and go, you're carrying this, but you don't know you are. This is something, you're carrying this, this is something that's attached to you, but you have absolutely no clue. And see, here's the thing. They're not alone. So the thing that Peter's going to talk to the church about, to the first century church about today, I think he wants to talk to us about also. Because I think there's some things that you're carrying, there's some things that I'm carrying, and unless we have eyes to see, God-given eyes to see, I think we could easily overlook the fact that most of us in this room, 
We're carrying this. And I think Jesus' posture towards us this morning is, I think he wants to come up and say, hey, I'm not sure if you're aware that this is a part of your life. Here's the way he starts this section of scripture. 1 Peter chapter 5. If you have your Bible, turn there with me. And we're going to finish our series in the book of 1 Peter today. You'll remember over the last few weeks, he's talked about those who suffer because of the fact that they're followers of Jesus. Not in spite of, but because of. They're facing persecution because they carry the name of Jesus. Last week, we addressed leadership and how important good leadership is in the form of elders in the church. And listen to the way that Peter continues this thought in verse 5 of chapter 5. Here's what he says. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves. Now, now how many of you? Uh, Okay, so look up at me for a second. We're going to chat a little bit today. How many of you? All of you. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God opposes the, say it with me, proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I've been thinking about that this week. As I've thought about it, pride is one of those things that's really hard to identify. I think most of us, if we were to, go around, were to go around the room, we would say, yeah, I struggle with pride to a certain degree, but when we would, if we were pressed, I think when it really came down to it, we'd say, but it's really not all that big of a deal. You know what's interesting is that Peter has just spent a number of chapters addressing how we suffer well as followers of Jesus, but the place he wants to land the plane of his letter isn't in how to suffer, it's how to walk humbly with God. That's how he wants to land the letter. And here's why. You can write this down if you have your little bulletin. Write this down. Because pride of the soul is more damaging than pain in the body. That that we would think, listen, there's all sorts of health crisis and things and our bodies break down and and suffering, that's a difficult thing to handle both um, physically and emotionally. And Peter says yes and amen and he deals with that. But the place he wants to point us to as he wraps up his letter is not how do we walk well in suffering, it's how do we walk humbly with our God because far more damaging to you than pain in your body is pride in your soul. But it's hard to identify, isn't it? It's hard to identify. See, people throughout the ages, St. Saint, um, Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas, Martin Luther, John Calvin, they all identified pride as the greatest hindrance to walking with Jesus. John Stott, the great pastor and theologian, said, pride is your greatest enemy. Think about that for a second. Pride is our greatest enemy. So when God says, hey, I want you to see something that you may have missed, something that you're carrying, that you may not have a beat on, that you're just a silent killer that's attached to you, that you can't seem to rid yourself of, because the greatest danger you and I have is not what would happen to our body, but what would happen to to our soul and our posture towards God would be closed rather than open. Pride is your greatest enemy, and he goes on to say, and humility is your greatest friend. 
So here's what I want you to do. Will you look up at me for a second? I want to propose to you in the most friendly way that I can is that there's not one person in this room that doesn't deal with this issue of pride, that doesn't deal with this issue of pride. And it shows up in different ways. And it's a blind spot for many of us. And, and by blind spot, we mean it's hard for us to see in ourselves. Yes? So we're clear on what a blind spot is? They call them blind spots because they're hard to see. That's for free this morning. You're dismissed. Let's close it right now. I'm just kidding. But so, so let me help. Let me help. Let me help. Let's ask some sort of diagnostic questions. You might struggle with pride if you have a hard time admitting you're wrong. Okay, now don't elbow anybody. That's just awkward for all of us, okay? <laughs> and no, don't point, okay? This is just you between you and the Lord. You have a hard time admitting that you're wrong. You, maybe you have a hard time asking for help. You have a hard time asking for help. Making that phone call to somebody, hey, I, I really need some help in the situation. I can't figure out which way to go, which direction to go. You have a hard time asking for help. Maybe you have a hard time admitting you don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe your pride shows up in the area of it's difficult for you to work with other people. So it's always somebody else's fault or somebody else, no, nobody else can do it quite as good as you. So there's this like cynicism or bitterness or judgmentalness. If, if you were to have a report card that came home, it would say, has trouble playing well with others. Okay. Maybe there's this like burning desire to be noticed or to be praised or to be needed. Maybe, maybe it's hard for you to come in here and genuinely worship God, or maybe you can sing, Lord, I need you every hour, I need you. But when you walk out these doors, it's like, God, I got this. God, I got this. So maybe we worship in here on Sunday morning, but it's hard for us to carry that posture throughout the day. See, pride is the most dangerous of sins because if you were to peel back the onion, underneath every single thing we struggle with is one struggle. It's a struggle of pride. And it's a hard one to address, isn't it? Because you can't work on being humble. What okay, let's just throw it out there. Let's say you do. Let's say you're like, this year, I'm going to work on being humble. What happens if you succeed? <laughs> you're like, man, I nailed humility this year. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're off that pedestal, right? See, here's the reason we struggle with humility. is because humility is a byproduct of seeing ourselves honestly and seeing God rightly. It's a byproduct. It's something that God does in us as we see ourselves honestly and him rightly. And so here's what Jesus wants to do for us this morning. I'm convinced of this. He wants to just go, hey, I think this is a struggle for you. And I think there's some areas you're not walking in joy because of it. Are, are you willing to hear that? Are you willing to hear that? And maybe this morning we say, okay, God, I wanna, I wanna open myself to hear from you, from your word, and from your truth. So here's what Peter says, because there's something 
more damaging than pain in the body, he lands the plane of this letter with saying, all right, let's address pride in the soul. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. So the pride that you carry doesn't just impact the way that you relate to God. It impacts the way you relate to every single person around you. See, if my posture towards God is humility, my disposition towards everybody else changes, does it not? If I'm able to admit before him, God, I need you, I'm able to give grace to the people around me because I assume they need him too, amen? See, so the pride that I carry influences my marriage, my workplace, my home, my neighborhood. Friends, this is the silent killer of most relationship issues that we have, pride. So Peter wants to just do away with that. He goes, so clothe yourselves in humility. See yourself honestly and see God rightly. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Okay, so here's where we're gonna just boil this down. Peter says you have two choices with your life. Either You can choose to say, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to go on it on my own. I'm going to be self-reliant, self-absorbed, and I'm going to rely on me, and I can do this. And this is what most self-help feeds us, right? You go to the library or the bookstore or Kindle, whatever, and you download a self-help book. It's going to say, you can do it. And here's the deal. Will you look at me for a second? It's a lie from the pit of hell. And if you've tried, you know it. You know it. See, the posture of power in the Christian life is not a posture of, I can do it, but it's a posture of, I can't do it, I need you to do it, God, and I fully believe and am convinced by faith that you have, that you have. So here's what Peter says. God works against, he opposes actively those who are proud, And he works for, on behalf of, those who are humble, which literally means in the Greek, low, that they're low before him. See, you can hold on to your your pride or you can hold on to his grace, but you cannot have both because they're going in different directions. So, so, So what are you holding on to this morning? Here's the main point that I think Peter wants us to circle around is this, Jesus in a beautiful way, exalts the humble and he humbles the exalted. He exalts the humble and he humbles the exalted. Look at how he says this in verse six. Humble yourselves therefore under God's right hand, his mighty right hand, why? So that at the proper time he may exalt you. When I and when you lay down our pride, we pick up his power. So let me say it again, write it down. When you lay down your pride, when you're able to say to God, God, I don't have this all together and I don't know all the answers and I need help and I can't carry this burden on my own. When we lay down our pride, we pick up his power. So here's, the decision's really simple this morning, friends. It's whose power do you want in your life? your own or his, 
But what Peter says is, you're not going to have both. And in the end, those who humble themselves under God's mighty right hand, who recognize their need and see his provision, his mighty right hand is a hand full of grace and mercy. Amen? And when we recognize we need it and position ourselves under it at the proper time, he exalts you. See, Jesus humbles the exalted and exalts the humble. When I lay down my pride, I'm able to pick up his power. Walking in humility, a disposition of need, allows me to walk in God's ability. And most of the reason we don't see God's power is because we choose ours over his. And can we be honest? That's a dumb decision. Isn't it? I mean, and here's, I make it all the time. I make it all the time. I love the way, I love the way that the great preacher and early church father, John Chrysostom, puts it when he says this. He says, for just as pride is the root of all sin, so humility is the root, mother, nurse, foundation, and bond of all virtue. That's beautiful, isn't it? Of all virtues. So if I'm able to see myself rightly and see God honestly, and I'm able to walk humbly, then my hands are in this position to let go of my pride and pick up his power to walk in humility and his ability and not my own. And there's some beautiful things that start to happen in a person's life when they're able to say, all right, I'm letting go of my pride and this misnomer that I can do it. I'm laying myself before God and saying, God, it's all about you and receiving from him. There's some beautiful things that happen and Peter wants to tell you about them. Verse seven, here's what he says. Verse seven. He says, and at the right time, at the proper time, God's gonna exalt you. He's gonna lift you up, casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's as though Peter's reading our mail because he puts his finger on a question that you and I ask all the time when we walk through difficult seasons of life. We enter into this tension, this mysterious tension between God is all-powerful and all-loving and all-good, and yet life sometimes stings, yeah? Okay, you got your halos on tight this morning. And life sometimes stings, doesn't it? It does. It hurts. And so my initial question and my guess is yours also is, God, I believe you're good and I believe you're powerful and I believe you love me, but do you care? Do you care? Because if you did, it seems like you'd step up and do something. And so Peter wants to speak into that right off the bat. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. This isn't an issue about whether or not God cares. He cares deeply. And hey, look up at me for you. This is a word for somebody in here this morning. He cares deeply for you and his cross declares it. So when you start to sink into this pattern of, God, where are you in this? And God, do you care? And God, have you given up on me? And is your hand off of me? His answer is definitively, my cross stands at the center point of history to say, I love you and I care. And I'm in this with you. And so Peter says there's this tension that you and I have when we have anxiety, which is literally a divided mind or divided heart. It's division. It's having feet in two different camps. One camp is, God, I believe you're powerful and I believe you're loving and I believe you'll come through. And the other foot is planted in, I've got to make this happen on my own. 
I've got to do this. And I doubt that you're going to make it happen, God. So I'm going to take it into my own hands. So Peter says there's two choices you have when you find yourself carrying anxiety. One, you can continue to carry it or you can cast it. You can continue to carry it or you can cast it. Now the question isn't whether or not we will have anxiety in our life. You can say amen to that if you want to. The question is whether or not we will be people who carry our anxiety or whether we will be people who intentionally, actively cast our anxiety. And let me just tell you, from my experience, it's not a one-time, oh, I'm gonna cast that and be done with it, and oh, I'm so glad that's gone. It's like, anxiety seems like a boomerang, doesn't it? You cast it, and all of a sudden, you find yourself the next day carrying it again? So it's not just like, I'm going to cast it. It's I'm going to consistently, constantly, actively cast it. And humility is the thing that frees me to do this. See, walking in humility allows me to cast my anxiety rather than carry my anxiety. Cast my anxiety rather than carry my anxiety. As a, as a backpacking guide, we, and I guided backpacking trips for four summers, and every single trip we took we would carry, the guides would carry a climbing rope in our backpack. It was just in case, okay? Just in case. Now, I've been through some difficult times on the trail, and even in the just in case times, that rope never left my bag. And every time I would unpack it and be like, stinking rope, man. Like 10 pounds, 15 pounds I carried this entire week just in case, and I've never needed it. See, I think the anxiety that you carry is really similar. How's that working out for you? I've never heard anybody start the sentence. I'm so glad I'm carrying my anxiety because it's produced X in my life. Unless X is heart problems, trouble sleeping, trouble eating, right? No, it's not working out well for anyone. And so here's what Peter says to the church. You can either cast your anxiety or you can carry it. And if your disposition before God is, God, I need you, you're able to say, and God, you can carry this anxiety. I believe you already paid for it on the cross. Your shoulders are way bigger than mine. And I need you to step up and it's yours. Thank you very much. And then I can say it to myself the next minute when I forget. And the next day when I wake up. Anybody with me here? So we cast our anxiety rather than carrying it. I love the way the psalmist puts it in Psalm 55, 22. He says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Anybody in here carrying a burden that Jesus is inviting you? Hey, I can take that today. I can take that today. Something going on in your job, he goes, I can take that. Something going on in, in your marriage, he goes, I can take that disappointed about not having a baby, disappointed about things that are going on relationally, disappointed about the way things have played out, questioning the future. He goes, come on, come on, come on, come on. My shoulders are big enough and I care. Give it to me. Give it to me. And see, it's only the heart that walks humbly with God that can release and allow him to carry rather than us. Verse eight, he continues. He says, be sober-minded. It's this picture of being clear-minded and being able to make good decisions as opposed to an intoxicated mind that's just blown about by the wind of whatever circumstance you find yourself in. 
And part of the result of casting our anxiety is being sober-minded, and being sober-minded results in being watchful. Circle that word if you ever in Bible, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So here's the tension that Peter's gonna enter us into. He's gonna say, listen, listen, people who are confident in their own self and in their own ability, they walk with this posture of, see if you've ever said this, that will never happen to me. Right? So you look at somebody else and the situation they walk through, their, their marriage just takes a turn for the worst. Somebody enters into a, a, an adulterous relationship and you think, that will, that will never happen to me. So here's what we immediately do. We immediately drop our guard and our awareness of the enemy's activity in our life is diminished greatly. See, those who walk in humility have this posture of, but for the grace of God, but for the grace of God. And God, I believe you provide your grace and I, I believe I need it every minute, every moment of every day. I need it. I am not indestructible. And humility tells me I've got to, because I'm not indestructible, I have to be watchful. I have to be watchful. You know the countries that are watchful are the countries that know they're a target for attack. Right? Prideful countries go, it's not gonna happen to us. Not gonna happen to us. And you see, walking in humility allows us to be watchful of the enemy, to do away with this absolute lie that many times we walk in and many times we buy of it'll never happen to me. To be watchful of the enemy instead of confident in our own ability. So this is a difficult posture to have, is it not? If the enemy, write this down, if the enemy can puff me up, he can take me down. If the enemy can puff me up, he can take me down. But if I stay low before God, if my posture is, God, I need you, I don't have this all together, and I'm watchful of the way because, I'm, I, because I know he needs me, and because I know I don't have it all together, and because I know but for the grace of God goes me, it allows me to say, all right, so now I'm watchful of the enemy's attack. He prowls around, the scriptures say, like a roaring lion. Now, thanks to National Geographic, I know a little bit about lions, okay? Here's the two types of animals lions attack. Lions attack either the weak or the wounded. The weak or the wounded. And so... You pull that over into the spiritual realm. Who does, who does the enemy, the devil, who's like a lion, who does he attack? He attacks the wounded. People who are going, man, my past is just haunting me. I'm walking in guilt. I'm carrying shame. I know I read in Romans chapter 8 that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but I believe there's a footnote at the end of my, at that verse in my Bible that says, except for you. So we continue to carry that. We operate in shame. We operate in guilt instead of walking in to joy. You know who the enemy's going after? That person. If you're holding on to grace though and you're going, this was never about me anyway, 
just as about you, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You're watchful and you're confident, not in your own ability, but in the fact that Jesus has already been victorious. See, the, the fight of humility, if we, if we operate in pride, we go, I've got to fight this on my own and I've got to come through. But if we're willing to admit at the onset, I can't fight this on my own anyway. You know the freedom that's in that? That this isn't my battle, this is his. That I don't have to do it, he's already done it. That, my friends, that, my friends, will you look up at me for a second? That is the powerful stance of the Christian life. I can't and I don't have to. Jesus already has. Jesus already has. I love the way that Andrew Murray, the great author, in his wonderful book, Humility, puts it. He says, here is the path to higher life. This is your best life now. Down. Lower down. Just as water always seeks to fill the lowest place, so the moment God finds men abased and empty, his glory and power flow in to exalt and to bless. He says, I know I'm susceptible to the enemy's attack. So God, I need you. And God goes, oh, you got me. You've got me. Just stay low. Stay there. Don't let the silent killer creep into your life. If he can puff you up, he can take you down. Peter goes on and he says, uh, say these two words with me. Resist him. Now this is really interesting because he's talking about how we wage war against the enemy of our soul. And you have one and I have one. How we wage war against the enemy of our soul is not fight him. That's very different, isn't it? Take him down. And see, a lot of when we talk about spiritual warfare in the church, a lot of it is put on the armor of God and fight against the enemy and let's go and let's take down the devil. Newsflash. Jesus already did. He already did. He made a spectacle out of him by triumphing over him by the cross. The book of Colossians makes that absolutely crystal clear. Your job isn't to fight the devil. Your job is to stand firm in the victory of Jesus. See, pride says, I've got to fight. Humility says, he's already fought. Pride says, I've got to do it. Humility says, Jesus has already done it. See, walking in humility... Walking in humility allows me to resist through faith rather than run in fear. Because let's be honest, friends, if we've got to wage the battles of our life and fight the battles of our life on our own, which is the lie pride tells us, most of us, when it comes down to it, are going to run in fear rather than being able to fight because we know even that the greatest battle we'll ever face, we can never win on our own. And that's the battle against sin and death. And praise be to God, you already stand in his victory. I love the way, and in, in the passage that talks about spiritual warfare, maybe more explicitly than any other passage or section of scripture in the whole Bible, Ephesians chapter six, here's the way that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and how to be victorious in this battle against the enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion. He says, finally, be strong in how awesome you are. 
Okay, okay, so sometimes we may, you're going, okay, Paulson, I get it. Do we? When you hear people talk about spiritual warfare, is it be confident in who God is or come on, you can do it? Be strong in the Lord and in the, say it with me, strength of his might. Whose might? His might. Whose might? His might. See, being victorious in the Christian life is not about how awesome you are. I hope you don't take offense to that, but if you did, you got a sock hanging out of your drawers, so that's for free. It's not about how awesome you are. It's about how powerful he is. And I can never hold on to his power if I'm holding on to my pride. So here's what he writes, Paul writes, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, come on, say it with me, stand, stand against the schemes of the devil, the roaring lion that prowls around. How are you victorious? Not by fighting, by standing. By standing in the victory of Jesus with full confidence. God, I'm not the one doing the fighting, you're doing the fighting. Listen to the way that Peter continues. He says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So he goes, hey, listen, pride says I'm the only one in this position, right? Woe is me. God has left me. This is about me. Me, 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 right? Humility says, no, 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 come on, there's other people walking through the same thing. In fact, there's other people walking through maybe even worse things. See, this is part of the power in Celebrate Recovery, because you walk in those doors and you go, I'm not in this boat alone. There's other people here. And here's what the enemy of your soul would love to make you think. You're in it alone. God's left you. He's with everybody else, but you, you are a lost cause. And Peter says, you want to fight against the enemy? You want to fight against the enemy? Have a perspective that you are not walking through this alone. Whatever it is, friends, you're not in it alone. There's other people who are trying their best to say, God, I'm clinging to you. I'm walking with you in the midst of this difficult, difficult season. We're gripping the grace that's freely ours if we let go of our pride. And see, that's the battle that happens here. It happens in our mind. But so often, we carry our pride and we go, man, I'd much rather run in fear than I would stand in faith. Finally, Here's how Peter ends. He says, and after you've suffered a little while, time out. Can we agree that's a relative term? <laughs> and that sometimes God's idea of a little while is different than ours? So 250 years is a little while, according to the persecution that the early church went through under the Roman Empire. After you've suffered a little while, you go, God, I don't get it. And here's the, here's the principle. Here's the principle. That sometimes there's more distance than you and I think between the promise and the provision. And some of us, in between, when God promises and when God provides, that's the time where we tap out. Or that's the time where we give up. Or that's the time where we go, God, if you're not going to do it, this is the Abraham model, if you're not going to come through God, then I'm going to come through on my own. You must need some help fulfilling your promise. Where's Hagar? He goes, after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, whose work is it? His, will himself 
restore you, confirm you, strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. See, your job and my job is to resist the enemy. God's job is to establish us. Your job, resist. Stand in faith. His job, establish, confirm, restore, and strengthen. I don't know about you, but I sometimes get those mixed up. My job is to make a name for myself. And his job is to keep everything away from me. And he goes, come on, come on, come on. My job, God's job is I will establish you. Your job is resist and trust in the in-between time. You see, humility, walking in humility allows us to be established, to wait to be established rather than to war to make a name. That's, that is not easy, is it? It's not easy for me. It's not easy for me. I hate waiting. I love, I'm borderline addicted to progress. I mean, every single run I go on, I time to make sure I was a little bit faster than yesterday. I'm gonna be in the Olympics soon. You watch out. <laughs> it's hard to keep up with me. I don't know about you. I, don't, I love seeing the ball move down the field. I love progress. I'm almost addicted to progress. And sometimes God does his best work in me in the waiting rather than in the succeeding. It's, it is hard. It is hard for me. I love having the final word in the situation and argument. I'm just going to be honest with you. And I don't like waiting on God to come through for me. I love having the final word. I feel the need often to defend myself when I'm wronged rather than to say the truth is going to come through. I have this need I battle against to be noticed. And he goes, come on, come on, Paulson. I'm at work here. And if you believe that, let me work. And I'll work in you in the waiting. And I'll work in my world through the waiting. And the end result is you will be restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established by his mighty, right, gracious hand. You can fight to make your name, or you can wait to be established, but friends, you cannot do both. What's your posture? What's your posture? And in finishing up this beautiful letter where Peter has started with the amazing mercy of God showered down on people who are dead, making them alive, telling them how to live in a world where they have no power and where this world is not their home, and then inviting them to be part of God's redemptive plan on his earth. Here's the way Peter ends. He says, by Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. I love this. What I've written to you about the fact that you are dead and you've come alive and the fact that God's grace and glory is all over you and shines through you to a world that's in desperate need, a world that's not your home. He goes, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. 
stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, this is the church in Rome, who likewise is chosen, sends you their greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. What a beautiful, beautiful way to end. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. And it's when I'm firmly planted in God's grace. that I'm able to stand in a world that throws a whole lot of stuff at me. In a world that says, hey, carry your anxiety because you can't trust him. When I'm firmly planted in his grace, I can release it. In a world that says you've got to make your own name, you can't trust him. You've got to defend yourself. You've got to fight on your own behalf. He goes, no, 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 no. Stand in my grace and my mercy. In a world that says you can't admit your weakness because people will take advantage of you, Jesus says, it's in your weakness that I'm made strong. Run to me empty-handed. Drop your pride. Pick up my power and stand firmly in my grace. It's available to all if you'd come low to the throne. Empty-handed, you'll find yourself carrying more than you could ever possibly imagine than you could ever possibly imagine. Will you stand with me? We're gonna close our time with worship. With worship. Let's close our eyes and ask that God would, the spirit of God would meet us in this place. Jesus, it's, it's one thing for us to sing songs. It's a whole other thing for us to cry out. And so we don't want to sing songs. We want a posture of humility. So our song is, God, we need you. We need you to show up. We don't have it in and of ourselves to be good enough, to do good enough. Lord, we trust that you've made a way. So it's in seeing who we are and knowing who you are that we find a way to walk in humility, open-handed, releasing our pride and taking on your power. Thank you for being a God who exalts those who are low, lowers those who are exalted. And so we come to you today and we say we need you. We cast our anxieties. They're too big for us to carry. God, we're watchful of the way that the enemy might attack us because we know that we are not indestructible, so we cling to the cross, but for the grace of God, go us. And Lord, I'm firmly convinced that all of us in our lives will wait, but not all of us will wait well. So would you help us to wait in such a way that stirs our faith and our trust in you, not the bitterness that we so often carry, the anger of things not going our way. In humility, we lay all that down. And in humility, we take up your grace. What a trade. Oh, man. Uh, do a work in our souls that would help us see you and see uh, ourselves and walk humbly. All God's people said, amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.